Hello, and welcome to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Uh, Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is led by Pastor Daniel White. Uh, Today we're going to be joining Pastor White as he continues his series on the family. So let's get out our Bibles and get ready to join Pastor White as he teaches us about God's plan for home and the family. Let's get back into our series on the family, Colossians chapter 1. I want to launch off with verse 9 and verse 10 here tonight. I think this is maybe our ninth or tenth week. It really gets broken up because of all the things that are going on here during the summer months and Wednesday nights and Things stay pretty consistent on uh, Sunday mornings, but Sunday nights too. We just have all kinds of different things happening here at the church. And Wednesday night, it's kind of hard to keep consistency going. So a couple of weeks we've been out of our family series. We're going to be back in here tonight. Verse 9, for this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, all that we would pray for one another. I'm going to talk tonight once again about our young people. We had an evening where we talked about dating. We've spent two evenings talking about engagement. And we're going to spend another evening tonight talking about biblical engagement. But we need to pray for our young people. We need to pray that they would do it right, right from the beginning and avoid the many conflicts that can arise in marriage simply because they didn't do it right. They didn't start out right. Now, I want to say something to you here tonight that uh, for those of you who have already been through the courting years and the engagement years and you're married and maybe you've been married for some time, you may see tonight that some of the conflicts that you have in marriage stem all the way back to the fact you didn't do it right. And if you realize tonight that you didn't do it right, praise God, we can make it right. He's a forgiving God, and we can go back and we can repent of those things that we did not do right. And then God's fullest blessing can come upon our lives and upon our marriages. But we need to pray for one another. Our families are under attack. I'm so thankful for the number of young families that we have in our church. I wish they all would attend the Wednesday night service. I really, really do. Uh, Sometimes I get frustrated because, you know, we're really giving them the information, the biblical information that they need to to build strong families, and they're just not, just they don't see the value of it. You see, if you don't see the value of the Wednesday night service, you won't make the sacrifice to come. And so we really need to pray that our, especially our young people and our young couples would see the need of coming to these Wednesday night services. I'm going to tell you something. Some people pay a lot of money to go to seminars to get this kind of information. And we're just giving it free. What a deal. That ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So we need to pray for one another, especially our young people. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Our goal in the life is to please the Lord. Please Him in our courtship. Please Him in our engagement. 
please him in our marriages. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May we increase in his knowledge tonight as it applies to the area of engagement or as we know scripturally, betrothal. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless the teaching of your word tonight. We have a lot of really important principles to cover this evening. I pray that every heart would be open and receptive to hear your wisdom and the spiritual understanding that comes from this precious book that we hold in our hand. May we increase in the knowledge of God tonight, that we would be fruitful and live a life that would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. That's the time I come down and join you. And, of course, we do our review. Now, you may remember that marriage represents our relationship with Jesus Christ. When you accept the Lord as your Savior, you are accepting his invitation for marriage. We call the church the bride of Christ. But right now at this moment, we are in an engagement with Christ. The wedding has not taken place yet. We're waiting for that wedding to take place, and there's going to be a great wedding ceremony someday in heaven, and the marriage of the Lamb will take place. I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? Now I want you to notice what the Bible says about the bride, about you and I right now being engaged to the Lord Jesus Christ, being betrothed to him. The Bible says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come. This is future. And his wife, who is his wife scripturally? The church. The church, his wife, the bride of Christ. Now notice it says here, his wife hath made herself, what? Ready. What is courtship? It's a couple making themselves ready for what? For marriage. What is engagement? It's a couple making themselves what? Ready for marriage. The wife hath made herself ready. I mentioned this the last time that I was with you and we were in this series right here. How many of us really think that this life is all about getting ready for the wedding? It's all about getting prepared. We should think that. We're maturing to that point to where one day we're going to be with the Lord and this wedding celebration is going to take place. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And praise God, our righteousness is not in and of ourselves. Our righteousness is in Jesus Christ. Now here's what I want to talk about this evening. We live in a very immoral age. Every age has been immoral. May we go all the way back to the beginning. Immorality is a part of human nature. But it has a tremendous negative effect when one becomes immoral during the dating years. And there's tremendous pressure on young people to be immoral. It's like it's accepted. 
I remember when, just here a few weeks ago, Christina had to go to the hospital. She had some terrible, terrible pains. And she had to go to the hospital to emergency. And they had a very difficult time. They kept questioning her over and over again concerning her virginity. They just could not believe that a young lady that age had not been promiscuous. That's the age in which we live. Our young people are affected by this age and by this culture. But what we need to understand is there are consequences for immorality. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. There's consequences for that. So when you're immoral in your courtship years, when you're immoral during your engagement, it has a direct effect on marriage. Now, a lot of people don't, they totally reject that concept. But what does the Bible say? You will reap what you what? So, you sow, you sow those seeds of corruption in your dating years and in your uh, engagement years, and you're going to reap the consequences of that on into your marriage. So my desire as a pastor would be for you not to have to reap that, to be able to forego all that. Now, remember our thermometer. This is so important that we get this thermometer down as far as it deals with immorality because we're going to talk a lot about immorality tonight and the consequences of it. First of all, we start out with lust. And I'm not going to read all the definitions. We've already gone through that. But we begin with lust. And then that lust, not rejected and turned away from, turns into defrauding. That defrauding turns into concupiscence. And the reason I use a thermometer is you're just kind of going up the scale, okay? Things are heating up. Lust, defrauding, concupiscence, a word that we really don't use anymore, but we need to understand because it's a very important biblical word. Then we have lasciviousness. I couldn't get it all on one page here. So then we got lasciviousness, and then we finally end up with reprobation, and that's where we're at right now. Same-sex marriage acceptance of homosexuality, transgenders. Where did it all start? With uncontrollable what? Lust. And it went right up the scale. This, when we reach that level of reprobation, that's, that's perversion. That's, seriously, that's when God's judgment comes upon a nation. It's kind of a scary thing when you think about it. That we are that generation that God says he will judge. So what are the effects of immorality on a marriage? Are there any? I'm going to just throw this in for you. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 22, and don't, don't turn there, don't get sidetracked, but you can do this later. The last three verses say this, that when a young man and a young woman are immoral with one another prior to marriage, and it is found out, that young man has to pay the father at least 50 shekels of silver, and he has to marry that young lady, and they can, he cannot put her away all the days of his life. That's what the Bible says. He cannot put her away all the days of his life. Now, we'll get, we'll get more into that when we talk about the divorce and remarriage issue, and that's coming up in our series. 
But you know, there's never been a couple, never, ever in my ministry, 36 years of counseling people, there's never been a couple in my office that are contemplating divorce that have not been immoral all the way back prior to their marriage. That's pretty amazing. So I'm telling you, it has a direct effect. I hope that this little chart, and I wish I could do a better job. I wish I was a chart guy. But I have to go through this quickly because time, really, I could spend one hour just going through this little chart that I put together here. But let's look at the effects, dating and engagement. We're going to talk about the inner conflicts. This is when immorality enters into the relationship, whether it's in dating or, or engagement. The conflicts that the man has, the conflicts that the woman has, and then the visible symptoms. Okay, you're all seeing where we're going with this? Let's talk about the conflicts that the man has. He's now lusting after, lust not after her beauty in your heart. He becomes interested in a young lady through physical attraction. He is lusting after her. Can I tell you something? That's not a way to begin a relationship. The couple then come together on a physical level. They don't come together on a spiritual level. They come together on a physical level and they disregard the need for spiritual oneness in their relationship. It's all based on the what? I heard it. It's all based on the flesh and the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That, I'm going to be honest with you, that's how most dating relationships are. Then she has these inner conflicts. Now we go from lust to what? Lust to what? We're going up the scale. What? Defrauding. Now she seeks to attract this young man through her dress. She seeks to attract him through her actions. The Bible talks about, you study the book of Proverbs, chapter 2, chapter 5, chapter 7. Talks about the strange woman. How her lips drip like honeycomb. She takes him with her eyelids. Talks about the way that she moves her body and the clothes that she wears. Actually, it also talks about the perfume that she perfumes herself with, as well as her bed. Very interesting. So now we have conflict already beginning in the relationship. Let's keep going here. His conflict now goes up to, we got lust, we got defrauding, now we got what? Concupiscence. We're going up the scale here. He has completely wrong moral standards. He feels the need to prove his love and fears losing her affection. Why? Because they're just they're in, they're just focused and engaged on the flesh. The visible symptoms is each rationalizes lowering of their standards. Especially if they're a Christian couple, they know it's not right. But they lower their standards. They withdraw from the group. You hear me? They withdraw from the group. That's, kind of, that's why we always have to have our eyes on these couples. Can't trust them. They withdraw from the group, desiring to be what? Why do they want to be alone? Now we, have, now we come to the conflicts that she's going through. She's more concerned with his evaluation of her than she is her own moral standards. Maybe she had some moral standards and knew what was right and wrong, but now she wants to keep him. 
guilt then over their involvement is suppressed. The conflict continues. What do we have? Lust, defrauding, concupiscence. Now we got what? Lysiviousness. He equates love with sexual attraction. That is not love. Mm -hmm. He expresses his love to gain physical involvement. That's what's on his mind. That's what he wants. The visible symptoms, each is unable to discover the real self. Why? Because they're focused on the flesh. They, they're attracted sexually. So they really do not discover who each other are. It's a mask. There's arguments that break out. There's frequent breaking up and then getting back together again. You ever notice that with couples? They break up, then they get back together. They break up, they get back together. Why is that? To fulfill the flesh. Then there's the whole redefining of moral standards. Her conflicts, seeds of doubt and distrust, dis distrust are, are bred in her response towards him. If he'll do that with me, if he'll use me, what is he doing when I'm not there? All the ladies are shaking their heads. Now we come into the marriage. Again, what is their dating and courtship built upon? Sexual attraction. Physical attraction. Flesh. Now we have some real inner conflicts in his life as well as her life. He views marriage as, as an acceptable way to meet his physical drives. Whew, I'm married now, I can have sex whenever I want. I have to deal with the guilt of that. You see, mar marriage counseling is so important to get a couple ready. But really, it should start all the way back when they're young teens. The visible symptoms, his visible symptoms, he tells his love for her only when he wants physical involvement. She develops frigidity. Now, we've got a married couple now. So she becomes frigid. She becomes resentful. She stops communicating. You know why? Because she's feeling used. My husband really doesn't love me. The only reason he expresses love is so he can have a physical relationship. She begins to question. She keeps it inside. It's all internal, but she begins to question, does my husband really love me? The only reason he loves me is for what he can get out of me. Oh, it's quiet in here tonight. His inner conflicts continue. He becomes angry. She's become cool towards him, feels threatened. He doesn't get his physical needs met. He's, he's mad. 
He becomes more argumentative, becomes more demanding. She withdraws even farther. She now has all these fears and all these worries. She loses confidence. And then she becomes defiant. Senses inner guilt, which comes from her inward concern that she's unable to meet and fulfill her role as a wife. I'm such a failure. Church, not a good marriage, right? Okay. We got more charts coming. But where did this all begin? Where did it all start? When when they started dating. His inner conflicts, again, they continue. Becomes concerned about the need to regain her affection. But if I could just have the affection of my wife back, she's withdrawn from me. She's upset with me. There's nothing worse than living with a woman who's upset with you all the time, you know, in the wilderness, on the rooftop. So he says, you know what, I have, to, I have to try to win her love back. I have to try to turn her heart back toward me. I've got to prove my love to her. So you know what he does? He starts buying her things. Maybe this will make her happy. I'll give her the material things that she wants, and maybe they go deep into debt. Her visible symptoms... She begins to substitute love of the children. I'm going to find my love. I'm going to pour myself into my children, not my husband. Maybe friends. Know who your best friend should be, your husband or your wife. So now he starts, she starts gathering friends. Replacing that for her husband's love. In her conflicts, accepts a situation and feels God is punishing her. God's punishing me. That's such a bad marriage. Can be submissive. I think I just married the wrong person. How many have ever heard someone say, I think I married the wrong person? Can I tell you something? Once you say, I do you done did, and that became the right person. Again, the conflicts continue, and they go deeper and deeper. He entertains the thought that he now married the wrong person. She's feeling that way, I feel that way. Begins to sow seeds of unfaithfulness. Why should I be faithful to this woman? She wasn't the right one in the first place. Goes his own way, attempts to fulfill himself with his work, his hobbies, his possessions, and even other women. Her visible symptoms, she is so deeply hurt now. She is wounded big time. She becomes condemning, she becomes critical, and now she becomes suspicious of everything that he does. She's checking his text. She's looking at his history on the computer. She's playing private investigator. She 
She now believes he, he just doesn't care. And so she gives up. Now, how many of you have seen this take place in people's lives over and over again? Can I see your hand? And this is what it leads to. It's because we didn't do it right from the beginning. If I can just drill that into you tonight, do it right from the start. Now, I'm thankful God is a merciful God, a gracious God, a forgiving God, and if we haven't done it right, we can rebuild. Amen? Amen. We can rebuild and do it right and try to use our life as a life's message to others. Don't do what I did. If they'll listen. You ever heard of foot washing? You ever heard of churches at foot wash? I think we ought to have ear washing. Get some of these teenagers and young people up here and wash their ears out before I preach. I think that'd be a good idea. Listen. Listen to your preacher. Believe it or not, your preacher loves you. And he cares about you. And God loves you. And God cares about you. I was in a counseling session today dealing in <clears throat> some very serious issues. And you know what? I've been meditating upon this, this concept. Is sin really that bad? Let me tell you, yes, it is. But we don't believe that it is. And all the things that we were dealing with were just sin issues that have just ripped lives apart. I'm going to tell you what, I get mad at the devil. And I'm going to be the one shouting the loudest when he is cast into the lake of fire. Well, let's talk about discerning the right life's partner. Are there some things that the Lord has given us in his word that will help us along? Sometimes people say, I'm so confused that I don't know how to figure this out. Well, God has given us his word to help us. There's some stages of marital discernment. First of all is the contact. You have to come in contact with the person you're going to fall in love with and marry. This is done through friendships. All right? During these times of friendships, and you see this picture of the, wouldn't you love it if all of our young people in college and career would get together for a good old Bible study? This is where these friendships would develop. But there's an attraction. You start to have an attraction toward a young man or a young lady. And then you start to, that discernment now comes in. And the discernment is, would this person be a good life's partner for me? You begin to think that way. Because what are you looking for? You're looking for character. You're looking for godliness. You're looking for a suitable life's partner. So we go past the friendship stage and then you realize, you know what, I think this is the person God would have me to be with. You've prayed, you've fasted, you've talked to your parents. Now you go talk to her parents and they give approval for a courtship to begin. Courtship is the second stage of discernment. Do we have a oneness of spirit? 
I'm going to talk about that here a little bit later. That should even develop deeper through the courtship years. The oneness of spirit is not there. You ought to end that courtship quickly. Now, here are some important things to consider when it comes to courting. Number one, I will only court and marry a growing Christian. Next one, I'll relate courting, engagement, and marriage to God's purpose for my life. Listen, if God has called you to be a missionary, why would you ever want to court or get engaged to someone who has no desire to go to the mission field? Right? Next, I purpose in my courtship and in my engagement, I will not defraud. You've got to make these commitments. Both of us must be in harmony at home. Got a good relationship with mom and dad. I will wait for God's timing in marriage. I'm not going to rush this thing. I will yield my right to court and marry to who? God. I'm going to let him decide. And then I will look to God to fulfill my deepest needs. I'm going to look to a man, I'm going to look to God to fulfill those deepest needs that I have in my life. It's very important. Young people, listen to preacher. It's very important if you enter into a courting relationship to figure out, are we on the same page? When my wife and I realized that God had brought us together, We started to talk about our convictions, about our standards, about our doctrinal beliefs. It was unbelievable. We were on the same page in every every area. This is a verse that my wife and I chose for our wedding. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So in this courtship, how about your talents? Do they work well together? How about your abilities? How about your personality? Some personalities just clash. Right? Your talents may line up, your abilities may line up, but your... Yeah. Interest. Okay, now interest may vary, but is there conflict in the area of interest? How about your backgrounds? Do you know your background that you come from affects you on into your life? Your upbringing. How were you brought up? That's important. Is there a good fit there? What about your family? When, listen, when you marry, you marry into that family. Yep. You got them. And you're going to have to put up with them the rest of your life. Your doctrinal beliefs, are they the same? Your philosophy of life, is it the same? Listen, do most young people even consider any of these before they start courting? Yes or no? Nope. What are they attracted to? The flesh. That's why we have such a high divorce rate. Our standards the same. You know what this eliminate? This will eliminate a lot of arguing and fighting. Our convictions the same. Are we on the same page? How about, our, how about our spiritual gifts? Do they fit well together? My wife is an exhorter. I'm a teacher. Beautiful fit. 
profited mercy, you're going to have to work at your marriage. The call of God. Is there the support of the call of God? I'm so glad when my wife realized that God had called me into the ministry, that she, she was scared to death to be a pastor's wife. But you know what? She's an awesome pastor's wife. It was a good fit. I'm just saying, listen to me, make sure it's a good fit before you try to fit it. So then we've gone through that. Now we're into the engagement time. Will you marry me? He asked me, and I said yes. So now the young couple are betrothed. When the betrothal takes place, then the preparation for marriage now begins. The development of the oneness of spirit that took place during the courtship now can grow even deeper in the relationship. Now here's some basic purposes for engagement. The chief purpose of engagement is to develop a oneness of spirit that when achieved becomes the basis for continuing to the fourth level, which is the level of marriage. And here's some scriptures if you just want to jot them down that you can... Uh, refer to here. This is a very important two charts that I'm going to put up here. The developing of spiritual oneness. How is a spiritual oneness developed? Malachi 3 talks about a oneness of spirit and how that divorce damages a oneness of spirit, obviously. The putting away. Which affects the raising up of a godly seed. But the developing of a spiritual oneness. Who must be the center of our relationship? God. Right? We all know that, right? The Lord must be the center. He must be the focus of our relationship. So as you come together in dating, as you come together in engagement, the man is responsible for the spiritual leadership, both in courting and during the engagement time. The young woman is responsible to be a spiritual example and a challenge and an encouragement to the young man. Okay? We're helping keep things on track. Can things get off track really quickly in courting and engagement? You know how they get off quickly during engagement? If a couple makes it through courtship, okay, here's how it gets off in engagement. Well, we're going to get married anyway, and let's just go ahead and do it. No one's around. then it's damaged. As each one comes closer to the Lord, if you're drawing closer to the Lord through your dating, you're drawing closer to the Lord through your engagement, you're, you're coming more of a oneness of spirit with each other. But I will tell you this, it's very difficult for a courting couple to keep their focus on the Lord. Very difficult in the engagement years to keep a focus on the Lord. But you must. Here's how this spiritual oneness is destroyed. They come together on a what? Physical basis, not a spiritual basis. When physical intimacy is developed, then a cloud of guilt comes between each one of them, making spiritual oneness impossible. 
I had something happen the other night. I was counseling with someone, and they said, listen, I know my heart's not right with God. I know I am far from God. I know I need to come back to the Lord, but I've been praying about this, and this is what the Lord told me to do. Hello. Did that resonate with any of you? It is impossible, impossible to have a spiritual oneness and be involved sexually. It's called sin. I don't care what the world calls it. So Satan seeks to reverse this order by having young people begin their dating with the physical and not the spiritual. This produces emotional and sexual involvement along with guilt. Spiritual development is put off until after marriage and sometimes it, sometimes it never is developed. So let's look at these four stages of marital discernment. You have friendships. Keep your friendships pure. What did Paul say to Timothy? You conduct yourself around these young ladies as though they were your sister. You're not making out with your sister. Make sure to keep your friendships pure. Then we enter into the second level of discernment, which is courtship, and then into the area of engagement, and of course, then into marriage. Isn't it good to start it right? Amen, church. Start it right, keep it right all the way through, so that when you stand up here before the preacher, and he says, you may kiss your bride, it'll be the very first time your lips have ever touched. I want to tell you something. This thing is till death do us part. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what my fellow preachers say. I'm having breakfast with all of my fellow preachers from the area. Okay? I'm such an odd duck. They're my, they're my best buds. They're my good friends. So I put out a situation to them. I said, guys, what would you do? And this is what every one of my preacher friends told me. You know what? If I were you, I'd tell them to divorce. Every one of them. Now these are independent, fundamental. You know my preacher friends. When you stand at that altar and you say, I do, God says it's till death do you part. This, I, what could be more serious other than our relationship with the Lord than what we're talking about right now? You get a hold of this. I mean, you wrap your heart around it. It can save you from years of, of heartache. Marriage is a lifelong 
covenant relationship. You are bound by the law of God as long as you live. Now again, I praise God for his forgiveness. You know what we all are? We're all just a bunch of messes. And God can take the messes and he can make, make them right. And I'm so thankful for the mercy of God. But every one of you here tonight, and there's several here tonight that have been through divorce or remarriage, you know the pain. You know the hurt. It rips lives apart. And so I want to encourage you that are here tonight and you've gone through the devastation of divorce, don't ever encourage a couple to divorce. I don't care what. God is a miracle working. He can do the impossible. God can change people. I believe that God is such a powerful God that he can even change a person's personality. He can take a person with a perverted mind and make it pure. I would never, ever counsel someone to divorce. What are the requirements if we're going to have a total marriage? Courtship is the spirit stage. Engagement is the spirit and soul stage. Really now give, have given your heart to each other. And marriage is the spirit, soul, and body stage. The Bible talks about all three. I pray, God, your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be preserved blameless. Listen, courtship, keep it on a spiritual level. Your engagement, you're on a spiritual and now soul level. You're giving your soul to each other. You're figuring all this out. We'll get to that in just a minute. But in marriage, now you can give your spirit, soul, and now your body to one another. Only marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. So courtship in the area of the spirit, you come together spiritually. Spiritual intimacy is achieved and uh, pushing forward because of time here. Um, <clears throat> over to the engagement. There's a spiritual, mental, and emotional oneness now that can take place. You've got the intimacy of the soul. So you've got the, the spiritual aspect in the dating. Now you've got the spiritual and soul aspect in the engagement. Now we move into marriage where it's spirit, soul, and body. The spiritual union has taken place, a oneness of spirit. You then have the physical union, which is the oneness of flesh. Physical intimacy is consummated in the marriage. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the twain shall be what? One flesh. That word cleave is an interesting word. It literally means to be permanently stuck together. When I went to school, I tried to get out as, as many classes as I could that had to do with academics and take as many classes as I could that had to do with working with your hands the mind never was really good for me, but I wasn't too bad with my hands. So I took drafting, I took small engines, I took woodworking, I took forging. I mean, I took every class like that that I possibly could take. And when I 
would have my welds tested. If your weld broke on the weld, that was a bad weld. Okay? You would not pass the class. A good weld will never break on the weld. The metal will break before the weld will. Right, Bob? God wants us to be welded together. So what is biblical engagement? It's defined as engagement as a young man, woman agreeing to accept the proposed protection and provision of a young man in marriage. The preparation now begins. During the engagement period, both the woman and the man are actively engaged in preparing for marital life. Marriage preparation. Get down the call of God. Make sure you're on the same page of what God has called you to do in life. Seek the Lord together. In your engagement, spend a lot of time in prayer and the Word as you're seeking to build your life now together. Church ministry. How are you going to be involved in church ministry? How about your finances? How about your budget? Get this all worked out. That's why when I do premarital counseling, we always go through a budget. Next one is your housings. Kind of good before you get married to have a place to live. Amen? So you've got to figure all that out. Let's really nail down our convictions. and our standards, and our philosophy of life. Let's talk about children, because guess what? It's a byproduct of being married. Children come along. Matter of fact, I would never marry a couple who said, I don't want to have children. I say, you have to find someone else to marry you because I won't do that. Need to talk about your roles. What is his role? What is your role in the marriage? See how all this ought to be worked out before you get married instead of afterwards? Responsibilities. What are your responsibilities going to be? What are my responsibilities going to be? Seek counsel from older believers who have a good marriage. Okay? Let me tell you something. When you're asking advice from someone, don't you think it would be a good idea to ask advice from someone who knows what they're talking about? If you want advice on how to have a good marriage, you probably shouldn't ask Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> how many say amen to that? The young people here have no idea who Elizabeth Taylor is. Google it up, you'll see what I'm talking about. And the preparations for the marriage ceremony. Okay? And then we come to our very last slide for the, for the night. Verse 24, let's read it together. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Church family, young people, 
Let's do it right from the very beginning. So have every head bowed, every eye closed. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.